2: Curling curling magnificent all-round.
1: Oh, this is just a leaf by Paddy Ryder.
2: Stokes
0: down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang. And the captain, as he did last week, from about there, kicks the goal.
2: Richmond rolling, Sydney's slip up. Port Adelaide and Gold Coast keep their finals chances alike. St Kilda underwhelms against an inspired Essendon. And Bali bad boy, or beat up, Jordan DeGoey's holiday antics polarise. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy Show. Cameron Ling, day to you. G'day Al, great to be with you. You plenty to talk about in, in this round, isn't there? I, tip, tipster's nightmare, there were
1: upsets everywhere and... All of a sudden, it just feels like that top eight is completely compacted together. There's not much gap anymore.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Runs home are going to count. I was looking at those today. St Kilda, the Western Bulldogs, they've got really tough runs home. Six of their nine games against teams currently inside the top eight. So it's going to be really interesting to see the way it plays out. Um, Fantastic night on Tuesday night. Eight new members of the Australian Football Hall of Fame were inducted. And the late, great Russell Ebert was made a legend of the Australian Football Hall of Fame. We're lucky enough on the Alan Lingy podcast to be joined by one of the inductees. He played more games than anyone in the history of the AFL, 432 of them. He was a premiership player with North Melbourne. Boomer Harvey, still working at the club. G'day, Boomer. Good evening, boys. How are we going? Congratulations, mate. What a fabulous honour. I suppose not an unexpected honour, but um, what did it mean to you to join what is a wonderful group of players in the Australian Football Hall of Fame?
0: Yeah, thanks, Al. Um, I found out probably six or seven weeks ago, I got the phone call from Richard Goiter, and uh, it was I I actually didn't know the criteria. I didn't know that you needed to be out for five years or how it worked, and that's something I've just never thought about, being in the AFL Hall of Fame, and I thought if I did get in it, it would probably be in 10, 15, 20 years, if I was lucky enough. But uh, to go along and share the experience with my family and just look around the room, wow, it was the most... I don't know how to explain it because everywhere you look, you see someone, you think, oh, I used to love watching him. And then you see someone else and you go, oh, look. And my my brother's a a bit of a footy head as well. So we are sitting next to each other. It was always just a little bit of a a, a shove and saying, look over there, look to your left, click, look to your left. So it was uh, was quite nice.
2: Your dad was um, fantastic on the night as well. And obviously a very enthusiastic participant in your football journey. Boomer, What, what sort of an influence did he have on you?
0: Yeah, so dad probably um, when I was, so dad worked a lot when he was young, and mum did all the travelling with us, took us to to all our games when we made the rep sides and all that sort of stuff. She was the one that was driving us, but I always remember just growing up, and I don't know why this sticks into my mind, but dad would shower on a Saturday morning, jump out the shower, and have a shave in his jocks, listening to the radio, um, and then I knew it was like, yes, we're going to the footy soon, and we, <laughs> we would head over to North Heidelberg and would be there until, you know, he'd go in the rooms and have a beer after the game and would be I'd be in the rooms before, in the rooms after, smelling the deep and the Lenuman. Um old school football, you know, there's a few punch ons during the game and dad, like I said, dad would go in the rooms and have a few beers and would head home, at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, what try to catch a little bit of the replay from the games, the AFL games during the day. And wake up on the Sunday morning and it was my turn to to play footy. So our whole weekend was was footy fix and um, it was a good good household to grow up in. We we broke a lot of picture frames, a lot of um, mirrors, uh, vases. Ma, I used to do mum's head in. She used to confiscate all of the foot, little footballs, and then dad would just go and pull out a pair of footy socks because they were a bit bigger than normal <laughs> socks, and we'd start kicking them around the house. So he was a bigger child than me and my brother, so it was uh, yeah, it was good fun.
1: <laughs> it's outstanding, Boomer, and I mean, as Al said. Uh, Not unexpected for us after uh, the career that you've had and the games that you've played after 432 games. But take us all the way back to that 18-year-old kid from the Northern Knights standing 168 centimetres. I mean, even in your wildest dreams, did you think you could play that many games, have that sort of career, have so much success and now be sitting in the Australian Football League Hall of Fame. It's remarkable.
0: Yeah, I was actually only 17, Lingy, when I first got drafted. I couldn't even drive to the training. I had to get mum to take me there. So that's how, that's how silly it was, looking back at it. But no, I, I, I'm tipping you would have been the same. And like most footballers, you get drafted, That your dream is that. But then you realise you need to play a game. You want to play one game. And that was my goal. I just wanted to play one game and say I was an AFL footballer. And then, of course, once you play one game, you want to play ten then you get a little bit greedy and 10 turns to 50. <laughs> um, and then you establish yourself. After 50 games, you probably really establish yourself in the senior team. And then the next thing you want to do is be really successful and, and try to win a premiership. Um, as the games build up, you, you never set out to play 400 games or or be the, the guy who's played the most games. That certainly wasn't my goal when I, when I first started. I wanted to play one game, first of all. Um, as it worked out, I played a few more than one game and um, and I was lucky enough and... Not like yourself, but I was lucky enough to only play in one premiership. Um, and to taste that success was, was crazy. I was only 21 and I wanted to try to do that again. And that's probably why I played for so long. You went
1: through a lot of different iterations of the club too, didn't you, Boomer? I mean, that, that incredible successful time, um, some tougher times where things were either happening off the field or um, the success wasn't there. Then you got back up again, a couple of prelims in a row. So lots of ups and downs of it all. As you head into the next phase of your life, do you look back and just think, "G footy teaches you a lot of things, a lot of a lot of ways to cope with life
0: and succeed in life as well." Yeah, it does, and I reckon that even starts beforehand, it because I love my kids playing sport. It doesn't matter what sort sort of sport it is, but it teaches them that discipline, and it's not all about them. There's other things to consider, other people to consider, but you're spot on. There was a lot of stuff happening at the Kangas over my 21 year career there. Um, David Noble actually has got this little thing that he shows the boys quite often. We all think success just looks like an upward spiral like that. And of course, it's, it's certainly not. There's a big hole that you fall in. There's a, a bit of fire here. There's a, there's a hurdle there. There's a, there's a speed bump here. And it sort of goes like that. And then you back up and then you back down. So I think all those little knocks that happen, you know, I think the, the lowest we finished on the ladder when I played was about 14th. Um, and that wasn't a great year Um, and of course I just spoke about winning a premiership and a couple of prelims as well so it teaches you so much but um, you know I I wouldn't change I don't think I'll change too much throughout my career I absolutely love the way it it panned out Um, you know when I first started getting ran with there was little hurdles that I couldn't get over and then you learn how to do certain things and it was just it was really good. And, and you're right, they're life lessons. They're not footy lessons. They're actually life lessons. And it's taught, taught me so much how to be a parent um, and little things along the way.
2: So, Boomer, you've spent more than half your life at the North Melbourne Football Club and continue to work there to this very day. And you're the match day runner for, for the team as well. There's been all sorts of external talk about how North Melbourne's going and how you're situated and where you're going and, and when. You're best qualified, I reckon, to give us a a really broad perspective on what exactly is going on at North Melbourne. How do you see the club placed at the moment?
0: It's not not great because we're second last on the ladder uh, and we're not winning too many games. So we don't shy away from that. The, The stuff I look at, because I'm a glass half full person, is three weeks ago, we had four people playing in our VFL team. Now, even if we wanted to drop people because they were out of form, we had nothing to bring up. So... You know, our number three draft pick from a couple of years ago, Will Phillips has played three or four games this year. He's had glandular fever. Uh, Charlie Comden, who I think is going to be a really good player of the competition, has had a lot of injuries. So our young guys that we really want to start playing, we haven't been able to because of that. Um, But again, I don't want them to sound like excuses because we're extremely disappointed where we are. I, I look and I just think, I see how hard these boys train. And I know, and I've seen, and history tells you, and even, you know, Lingy's teams, the Geelong, the Hawthorns, the, the Brisbane's, um, they all finished very, very low on the ladder. Melbourne a couple of years ago before they climbed it and became successful again. So we're under no illusion that it's a lot, it takes hard work, but I still think in a couple of years, our young list and our young talent can certainly get back up to where we belong.
2: And that perceived boom, a lack of, of progress. David Noble in his second year in charge has led to speculation about what his own future might look like. Can you give us a sense? I mean, this is coming from outside the club, people looking in and making determinations. What, what sort of a coach is David Noble?
0: Yeah, I think all those perceptions are always come from outside the club. When you're within the club, and, and Lingy can attest to this, when you're within the club, it's not, it's not as bad as it seems. Um, we know exactly where we're at and we've got a hell of a lot of work to do. We know that. But David Noble, he, he he's come in. He's, he's a nurturer. He helps these young boys. Um, and he, but he can, he can be tough when he needs to be. Um, he, he, I know he, he came out and apologised for the spray. I didn't think there was any need to apologise because it wasn't that bad. Trust me, I've had Dennis Pagan <laughs> and, and Danny Ladley and Brad Scott. So I've seen a lot. Um, he didn't need to come out. And I think our senior players realised that. The Zeebles, the McDonald's. I didn't need the apology, but um, for some reason he thought he overstepped the mark. But he is a great coach. He, he, he puts so much time, like all coaches do, into planning the week. And At the end of the week, when it doesn't work out the way he wants it to work out, he's extremely disappointed. But he's a winner. Uh, the first thing he said when he came into the football club is, boys, I'm a winner. I expect to win absolutely every single week. Um, hasn't started super well for him, but the work he puts in uh, behind the scenes that nobody else sees... I know he's going to be a successful coach. Boomer, I sense something
1: that would frustrate the hell out of every past player and certainly every North Melbourne fan is every time a conversation turns to uh, a new team in the competition, a relocation, everything like that, it's always North Melbourne. The Gold Coast Suns, a decade or so ago, would North Melbourne have to move up there? You, You saw that one off. Talk Tassie. Is it a merge? Do they have to go there? All of that. Does North Melbourne get through this and North
0: Melbourne stay as the North Melbourne football club, do you think? hundred percent, Lingy. Uh, I think let's go back to the Gold Coast. Um, you know, when we we're meant to move up the Gold Coast, and the AFL were going to give us a hundred million dollars. Um, the, <laughs> if they were going to go, I think it would have been then. I think we're in eight million dollars worth of debt then. And now we are debt free. The yeah. people at the football club behind the scenes doing all the work, have been absolutely outstanding. We're we're debt-free now. There's no need for us to to chase money and and do things like that. The North Melbourne Football Club won't be going anywhere, Lingy. I can promise you that. If they were, it would have been up the Gold Coast a few years back and uh, everybody rallied and said, absolutely not. So, Tazzy, I think you have to push for your own team because you're not getting the Kangas.
2: Yeah, and and nor do they want the Kangas, Boomer. And I think it's an insult to the North Melbourne Football Club that you keep getting thrown into this conversation. The AFL's made it really clear that they're negotiating with Tasmanian, uh, the Tasmanian task force and government around a 19th license. There's no mention of any form of merger and North Melbourne, you're quite right, has turned its fortunes around. I, I think there are clubs and club presidents who are looking at North Melbourne as the problem child, that they feel there's the opportunity to maybe get rid of North Melbourne and find another solution, but that's not palatable to North Melbourne. It's not palatable to Tasmania and it's not palatable to the AFL either. So that's zero chance of happening. Absolutely zero chance of, of happening, I think, going forward. Um, you see a successful future ahead for for North Melbourne, and naturally you'd be hoping Jason Horn francis is a big part of that as well, Boomer. Um, Sonia Hood, I thought, spoke really strongly when asked about his future during the week. And... He is a first-year player at your football club, and there's talk about why he hasn't re-signed yet, yet he's contracted for two years. How do you see the Jason Horn francis scenario? Does he look like a happy player in a, in a good environment to you?
0: Now, I didn't hear Sonia, so I hope we're on the same page here, but you're spot on. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Jason is an 18-year-old boy. Like it, we know you don't mature until you're 21, 20. You know, it's, not everybody is Sam Walsh who just comes in and is the perfect footballer because, and I love Sam Walsh, he's an absolute star, but not everybody can be like Sam Walsh. And and Jason has come from the sample as a 17-year-old player and, and dominated. Like he was a star last year at the sample and he's come up and he's playing against the best people in the, or best players in the country. Hasn't quite played to the, he's played some good football, but he hasn't played to the level that he thinks he can play at. So he gets frustrated and it's my job. It's our job at the North Melbourne Footy Club to, to make sure that that frustration doesn't get seen all the time. During the week, he's he is unbelievable. He trains well. He's, he, you know, you've probably seen a photo of him. He just shaved his head. Uh, that was through the Kangalotto stuff. And he's part of the boys. He absolutely loves it. Now, if I was Jason's manager on a pers- on a um, personal note, oh, why, why would he sign? Why would he sign? He's, he's, he's nearly our, probably our fifth best player now. If he continues to play and grow like he should next year, He's going to be our second or third best player next year. It's dollar sign straight away for his manager. And he'd be silly not to, uh, sorry, to sign a contract. Do we want him to sign? Of course we want him to sign as a football club. But his manager would be a silly bugger, I reckon, if he, if he made him sign right now. And that's, that's the reality. But he's, what I see from Jason, I see him two or three times a week. Uh, he's very happy. He's entrenched in the football club. Sometimes it doesn't look like that on field. But that's the good and the bad I, um, I see a lot of the good stuff that he does, and, and nobody seems to highlight that. So,
2: yeah. So, what do you say to him about those moments then? Because you've identified Boomer that he has the odd moment on the field where it doesn't quite look the way you would want it to. What sort of conversations do you have with him? I mean, you, you have this vast array of experience that you can help a young fellow with like this.
0: Yeah, my conversations with Jace is, is just how we limit those. You know, you're always going to be seen walking or you go for a contest, you have two or three efforts and then you can't get to the next one and it looks a bit yuck. So we're got to try to get him jogging instead of walking. Um, and I spoke to Lingy about this as well on Friday night. I think the, the conversation that he had looked like he was having an argument with Todd Goldstein. That's not an argument. That's healthy conflict on the footy field. And it's enormous leadership for a young boy to say, hang on, things are not going the way we need to. Let's try to fix this straight away. Oh, I'm a, I hate, I hate's a strong word, but I really dislike waiting to Monday to try to change things because you've got to see it and you've got to do it on field. That's what good leaders do. That's what Goldie was doing with Jace, and that's what Jace was doing with Goldie. They didn't see it exactly the same. So that stuff's the healthy conflict that not everybody understands. It looks, they see that on camera, two players arguing, they go, oh, you know what's hitting the wall? You know, the SHIT is hitting the wall, but it's not, it's not that. It's, uh, it's two players not seeing how it should be going and, and trying to change it on the spot.
1: I find it completely baffling our need, and I say our as the collective, um, the AFL industry, the need to pick apart uh, an eighteen-year-old's game. And you talk about that walking part and maybe two or three efforts and exhausted. He's come out of probably having done fifty percent of the preseason. It tends to be now first-year players only do about fifty or sixty percent of the preseason. Coming from an under 18 preseason, which is nothing compared to AFL, he's going to make so many mistakes, yeah. even the very best. And he is of the draft, he's the number one pick. He's going to make a thousand mistakes over the next few years. And he's not going to have the engine yet. And he's not going to have the strength yet, despite being a pretty mature kid. Yeah. When he's doing that at 25 years of age, sure, let's be a little bit more critical and, and yeah. pick him apart. So he needs to be better at this, needs to do that. But an 18 year old kid, I mean, I think back to when I was 18, I reckon I played... I think I played 10 games in my first season.
0: Yeah.
1: And I reckon I impacted absolutely zero of those games. I reckon I impacted zero <laughs> moments. And the only good thing I did in those first 10 games was bring joy to the lives of all the other football people for kicking the ball out on the full from zero metres out so <laughs> that everyone could laugh at me. <laughs> He's 18. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, but you we've just got to stop picking apart every single little thing
0: that the yeah,
1: players are doing
0: yeah and he gets looked at upon a little bit different because he's the number one draft pick and i think that comes with expectation but i'll put it to you this as well al what why do we have apprenticeships for in the workforce as a plumber as an electrician how many mistakes do those young kids make in their first three years of, of work mm-hmm. and it's exactly the same jason's doing an apprenticeship he just happens to be the the, the best apprentice um, going around and um, you make mistakes and that's why you do your apprenticeship. So he's got a lot to learn. And the other thing is you don't know what you don't know. And that's our job to, to teach Jace about body language, about little things like that. The thing I will say about Jace, he is a competitor. Like I, I haven't seen a young 18 year old come into the football club like this for a long, long time. He's a competitor. And that's why sometimes he looks upset because he hates losing and we're losing a lot and he hates getting beaten in one-on-ones, and he's lost a couple. So will you see him soaking? Yeah, you will. But I look at that and say that's a great thing because that's very, very hard to teach in a young boy. Yeah. Can, I, can I
1: ask you one thing about um, 18-year-olds and, and 18, 19, 20-year-olds more generally across the AFL now? And you've had a bit to do with a lot of them through um, the AFL Academy time yeah. and things like that. It feels to me like they're so much more aware of their career and their surroundings and what they want to be and what they want to turn it into. And what I mean by that is they are taking the time often, especially the top first round picks, yep. to think, well, am I in the best environment to thrive and be the best version of myself and, and get the best out of myself? And so they're taking the time to show to the club that they're good enough, but also for the club to show, oh, here's our here's our vision for the future. Here's what we're going to support you with. Here's what we're going to bring in. You guys are going to do this together. And and I think that's okay, isn't it? For Jason to say, as you said, don't rush signing. But also, there is a responsibility by North Melbourne to provide the best environment for him to have the best career he can possibly have.
0: I think they, they work... They work in sync with each other? Yeah, you do. And you have to be, You have to make it work like that. Otherwise, if there's one party that wants something and another party that wants something completely different, it, it doesn't work. Like I said, of course, we want Jace to sign. Um, and Jace has just taken a little bit of time to say, Rodio, is this what I want to do? Is this where I want to be? And that's okay. That's, that's fine. You don't want to be rushing an 18-year-old boy that's potentially going to spend the next 15 years in an environment so we, we create a great environment as all football clubs do but i mean we've got a we've got a great culture at our football club and we're just going to make sure that culture is strong enough that people want to stay at our football club i'm sure it is
2: bernie you played with a few players who enjoyed the lightest side of life enjoyed getting amongst it a bit in their uh, downtime from football and knew how to party what do you make of the Jordan Degoe scenario? Firstly, there have been a range of different um, comments made in relation to this. Um, I was watching the Sunday session on Seven tonight and Heath Shaw and Daisy Thomas were saying that it's an absolute beat-up, that players aren't owned by their AFL clubs, that they're employed by them, that um, they should be able to go and, and you know, partake in some partying. If they've got some downtime, it's not an issue. Had a range of different. Cameron Mooney came out and said it was the stupidest decision ever by a football club to allow him to go to Bali. And your mate Jimmy Bartell, Lingy, said that uh, the Buffed tax would be applied to um, Jordan DeGoey when it came to his contract negotiations on the basis of his behaviour. Boomer, what do you think? Is it okay for a player to, in their downtime, go off and enjoy themselves and let their heels down? in the fashion that Dugowie did, or given his prior behaviour in this area, as much as he's never been convicted of, of anything, should he have known better?
0: Now, I have to be honest with you, I still haven't seen the vision, which is probably a little bit silly by me, because I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I've had kids sport all weekend, and I haven't got around to, to looking at it, so I don't know the exact incident. I've heard different, different stories about the incident. Um, is, I, it's not something I would do, go to Bali mid-season, um, I would have probably taken that opportunity to sit back and, you know, Collingwood are in a pretty good position where they're playing some great football and looks like potentially they could play some finals. So just take that a little bit uh, backward and reco- make that a recovery weekend. But but that's me. That That's, you know, I'm tipping the way Lingy went about his football. That was probably Lingy as well. But we're going to understand and, and I've got to understand this because I was such a, this is how I need to prepare and this is what everybody else should be doing everybody's a little bit different. Um, and if people want to go out, he's young, he's single or whatever it is, and he wants to go out and party on the weekend, that's, that's his prerogative. He might play the best football he does when he goes out and does that. I still think it's strange that he went to Bali after everything that happened. I don't think that was a great choice. Um, I'm not his dad. I'm not the Collingwood Football Club president. So I've got no control over that. But it was a strange decision to, to put himself in that even that situation. And there will be some
2: conversations in. on Monday. The footage, for those that haven't seen it, essentially shows him um, revealing the upper part of a, a young woman's garment, to use it for want of a better word, and then also, um, I guess, simulating a, a sex act uh, in one of the posts as well. So the imagery is not great. It does not look good. And I'm sure people would have been cringing at Collingwood when they saw it, Lingy. Um, Nick Rewalt referred to it as... Indulgence over discipline. How do you see it?
1: I, I see it as just a really, really poor decision by Jordan, um, and not not from uh, not coming at it from an angle of football clubs should be able to dictate where players go or don't go on their break if they're going to do the right thing. You have got to trust your players. You know, people head off to uh, the boogle in Tassie and, and play. Around a golf, a few of the Geelong boys did that. Half a dozen of them. Well, they would have been having a great old time. They would have played golf. They would have had plenty of beers of a night time and had a, had a dinner or whatever you do, and had a, had a great few days. Uh, I used to head up north because I wanted to get somewhere warm and, and rest up the body. But yeah, certainly I, you know, would go out for dinner with mates and we'd, we'd have a terrific night. But I just think from Jordan's perspective is. He has done, he's had, he's had a few misdemeanors along the way. The, um, the old dog ate my homework one where, what uh, was it, the dog broke his hand and um, that sort of thing. And then the, the New York incident was a uh, much more serious one. And he was only starting to build back that respect and that trust. You don't just get it back after half a year and say I'm doing the right thing for six months. All's forgiven. He was starting to build that back by playing some good solid footy, keeping his head down and working hard at his game. Collingwood were in a really good place under a first-year coach who's trying to build something at that club for the long-term success of the Collingwood Footy Club. I just think for this one year, the smart decision was go to Port Douglas, go to Byron Bay, go and and still have a good time and and rest up and, and get some sunshine and all that sort of stuff. But just for this one year, don't go to a place that conjures up the images that you do when you think of Bali. And unfortunately, we've now got video evidence to back up every single one of those images that we conjured up anyway when we'd heard that he'd gone there. So just for one year, he could have not done it as part of his rehabilitation of his image and his commitment to Collingwood and to football. Even from if he's looking at purely from a selfish perspective, Val, that he gets to the end of the year having played some really, really top-shelf footy and Collingwood sneak into the finals and have a good year, he's probably signing a contract for 200 grand more than what he's probably going to sign now per year for maybe four or five years. Like that's, that's just a little thing. Even if you, you break it down to pure self-preservation, self, um, selfish matters, Just don't do it this time. I'm not jumping up and down and I I, I don't agree with the whole idea. It's the stupidest thing ever. I'm not with Moons on that. I'm not attacking Collingwood for it. I just think Jordan should have made a smarter decision on this occasion because it's so fresh off what happened in New York and and the respect that he's trying to build
2: back. It's interesting what the club does now with this because obviously Jordan is a player out of contract who you'd think they would like to re-sign. They've allowed him to go to Bali. They're going to have a conversation with him. But what comes of that conversation? They've, they've said he can go. He's free to go and enjoy himself during this bye period. And now they have a decision to make amid some large outcry within the public around that behaviour and then tie into that the cultural issues that the Collingwood Football has, Club has had and is trying to improve its image. So how that all sits around Jordan to go, do, do you think, to me, I still think it's highly likely this is a conversation and a, and a quiet word and, mate, was that really the the right thing to do? That was a, a pretty poor look. But there are those who think that that should go further. Do you see it going any further than just a conversation and a reminder?
1: I don't think that needs to go further. I didn't... Um, so I, I don't want to talk on anyone's behalf, but the the female in the video has come out totally supporting of Jordan and it was good and good fun and all completely fine. She was completely comfortable. So therefore I don't see the actions in the video as anything. I think it's the decision to go there from a professional footballer perspective. I'm coming at it from that angle. I didn't see anything in there that um, provided all parties were completely comfortable and happy and and supportive and that was their idea of fun. Then I, I didn't see an issue in what was in the video. I saw it from a decision to go there in the first place and an optics thing of him just trying to build that respect back. I think Craig McRae pulls him into his office when he gets back and he gives him a a firm word. I'm not talking about it won't tear shreds off him, anything like that. It'll be, come on, mate. You know, we, we trusted you to go away. We trusted you to do the right thing because that's what we do with our players. And that's what you've been showing to us in the first half of the year when you're in this situation and something like that comes back, do you understand the impact it has on all of us? Yep. We're now answering a thousand questions about this. We're, we're all having to deal with it. We're all having to spend time on this. Can you just do the right thing by all of us? And we will certainly do the right thing by you and that that trust will remain there. But come on, we need your help. We need your buy-in on this. So I think it'll go more like that than, than anything beyond that. It's, I don't see sanctions. I don't see any huge other things come out of it um, because it was more just Jordan's Jordan wanting to be a respected, top quality, absolute A-grade footballer. There are certain times you've just got to say no and sacrifice uh, that immediate enjoyment for the long-term ability to play the best football you possibly can.
0: Isn't it, um, isn't it funny, Alan Lingy, that... Uh, where there's so many people involved in football now the, impi- the opinions of everybody differ so much and that, that's what they are their opinions and we play an opinionated game. so it's, a, it's quite a good thing. You're going to have people in the media saying no, nah, this is a three or four week suspension. Bad luck, get rid of him, blah blah blah. Where does that rate against Bailey Smith's uh, incident recently? You're going to have teammates like Jeremy Howe who could be in his last couple of years of football that wants to win a Premiership and he says no, nah, no, nah, you're not suspending Jordan to go. He's our best player. We need to make finals. No way you're suspending him. So these are, the, um, these are the different opinions that you're going to come across. And that's why I love our game so much because it is opinionated and everybody's got one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other element, Boomer, I suppose. When you look at the table at the moment, Collingwood's in ninth, only percentage off the sixth-placed Tigers. And in the run home, they've got a pretty favourable draw, the Magpies. They play three teams currently in the top eight uh, and Melbourne, Sydney and Carlton are those three teams and they play them in the last three rounds of the season. Oh, so gee, that's going to make for a fascinating end to the season, Boom! Well, we can't hold the, you. Sorry, mate.
0: Sorry. I was at the game on Monday against Melbourne. And if they play some of that football consistently through the finals, there's going to be some teams that they're going to take it right up to, including the best team. So um, they're right, at, they're, right up, they're right up to their, uh, to their neck in the, the pies. I think they're fantastic to watch and, Playing a great brand of football as well.
2: Yeah, through 14 rounds, we've reached this point now where there is real uncertainty now about who fills sort of those bottom, I think, three positions in the top eight. Carlton's going to play finals. I think we can say that safely. But then Richmond, Sydney, St Kilda, Collingwood, Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast and Port Adelaide to a lesser extent are all jockeying for a position in the top eight. So... We're headed for an outstanding climax. We can't hold you too much longer, Boomer. Really appreciate you coming on. But you did broadcast on radio with Lingy on Friday night that St Kilda Essendon game. What did you see? Um, Brett Ratton really owned it in the aftermath. He said that they just weren't up for the challenge defensively. They only laid, what, 38 tackles for the night. He felt they were beaten up around the ball by the Bombers as well. It seemed a bit of an out-of-character performance from St Kilda. What what did you take away from it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think he's spot on. and, And... Lingy and I were talking about the contest the whole night, um, clearances in particular, but the contest, Essendon got to the ball first so many times. They got rewarded with free kicks, easy free kicks, but to, to Essendon's credit, they played a game style where they were taking the game on. Um, but every time we, we... We can come up with 100 stats for, for every game, but I think the team that wins the contest the most generally wins the game. It's, it's old, old-fashioned football, but it seems to get the job done. And I thought on Friday night that Essendon did that so much better than St Kilda. So Brett Ratton will be, I think you will be looking at that area of the game this week, um, making sure that they win the contest, something they didn't do on Friday night.
2: Is that now the base for Essendon? Do you think the way they perform, they have really yeah. underperformed this year and been so disappointing, <laughs> but they, they played with a method that showed some real intensity on Friday night and their defensive tra- transition was vast.
0: Far- Uh, Yeah, there certainly was. Their back six were were superb. Um, Of course, they didn't have Darcy Parrish as well, who normally gets 35, 40 touches. So I I thought they were good all around the ground. They had some really good forwards. Their backs got the job done against some really good forwards in the Saints forwards. Um, Won the contest, got the ball going their way. So I think that's the frustrating part about Essendon. Their supporters see it. Not very consistently, though. So as soon as they can maintain that consistency throughout games, not week to week, um, they're going to be a pretty good team. I oh no, Are they fourth last on the ladder?
2: Yeah, yeah. Somewhere there.
0: Yeah. So we, we just need to see that consistently. But if they can bring that energy and that consistency and that will to want to win that contest, they can be a pretty good team going forward.
2: Yeah, they're currently third last on the ladder, just ahead of the Kangas and, and West Coast. And West Coast Boomer showed oh, a bit of improvement yeah. against Geelong. So... North's going to they need did. to finish the season strongly to avoid the spoon, but um, you're seeing some encouraging signs. What what can North fans look forward to in the the back half of the season?
0: Yeah, I think you'll see some guys making their debut, um, some pretty big names at our football club. They've got some rich rich history, history there. Um, Archer, one of those. Uh, Wilco. Oh, I think that's what are alluding to. I'm hoping that that they get um, get young Archie in because he fights like no tomorrow. He's He's not going to have 25 coming off half back straight away. He's going to compete like his life depends on it, exactly like his old man did. Um, and I think the North Melbourne supporters will, will like this one. Sorry, Boom. Has he, um, sorry, Boop, has, has he learnt it.
1: the subtle art of the ear massage that um, Arch so, <laughs> yeah. so beautifully
0: dished yeah. out? Yeah, I don't think he's aggressive as his old man just yet. I'm not saying he won't get there because he's got potential to do it. Trust me. He is, he's very similar to Jason hunt Francis. His will to compete and want, want to win, is right up there with what I've seen. So I'm hoping that we see a couple more guys make their debut. Um, and we'll be getting a lot of guys back in, from injury in the next two or three weeks. So um, our VFL team will, in, will improve, and that will put pressure on the guys to perform up the top, to keep their spot. And I think that's what drives...
2: Just give us a line, too, before you go, Boomer on Taran Thomas. Obviously, a first-round draft pick, a player with... Massive talent. or You got him through the, the, the academy, the, the uh, Tassie Indigenous component of the academy. But we've all seen his talent, but he's fallen out of favour to the point where he got dropped to the reserves. What, what message was being sent there and, and what did he need to do to get back in?
0: Yeah, I think it's just around Tassie's work rate. Um, when he works really hard, he's a very, very, very good player. Talented player, can play in multiple positions for us. His work rate just over the last three or four weeks probably hasn't been there. And that, that's for, he's had a few little little niggle injuries. No excuse again, but he's had a few niggle, niggle injuries. Hasn't had some continuity with his training. So as soon as he gets that back and realises that work rate drives everything for you, he's, um, he'll get back to his good football. Because last year, he played some great football. This year, his form's just dropped off. And his work rate's just dropped off with that as well. So I think last week, he had a fantastic training session. Uh, sorry. Sorry three or four training sessions leading into the bye. And I think we've seen a shift in attitude already. And you know what? Sometimes it's that little kick in the backside or getting dropped is all you need to uh, rejuvenate yourself.
2: These boys want to be playing senior football, don't they? They've got a trip to Hobart to take on Adelaide this weekend. It's the first game on Sunday. Boomer, it's a real pleasure to have you on our program. Thanks very much. And again, congratulations on your much-deserved acknowledgement and induction into the Australian Football Hall of Fame.
0: Thanks, Al. Thanks, Lingy. Cheers, boys.
2: Boomer Harvey, what a champion he is. Great to have him on the podcast with us tonight. Still to come on the Al and Lingy Show, we're going to be talking Richmond and Carlton. We're going to talk about the Western Bulldogs with that tough run to finish the season for them. What about Port Adelaide, that upset win over Sydney? That's all to come.
1: The Al and Lingy Show.
2: So, Lingy... That was just such a great performance from Port Adelaide. But the Sydney Swans, gee, they're good's good. But when they fall away, they can really disappoint. So as much as they they convince you that they're perhaps a team that could challenge, then they have a performance like that in the match you would expect them to win. Albeit, I have to counter that by saying Port Adelaide started to play some much better football of late after losing their first five games. They've now won six of eight. Dixon's back in the side. Rosie's looking a a much better player in the midfield for Port Adelaide. Marshall's kicked 21 goals in his last eight games and found some real form as well. And they did that on the weekend without Travis Boken and without Robbie Gray. So excellent performance, Port Adelaide, you have to acknowledge. But given Sydney has had a very strong season, it does raise questions around their capacity um, and the all too frequent um, situation where they do concede runs of goals in games that can cost them.
1: Yeah, I think... Too quickly, Port Adelaide. That is a that is a an all-time win. Mate. That to to win without Boak and without Gray, um, that was outstanding. That showed real character, genuine heart. Um, you're right, Connor Rosie. I think I was a bit critical earlier on in the year that he hadn't elevated himself. He was outstanding. I thought Ollie Wine's very good again. They're they're more talented players. They're better players. Stood up and played really top-quality footy. With Boak and Gray missing, um, so well done to them. And the Swans—it's it's a bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? You see the football that they can play, and the way that—you know—straight away my mind goes to the second half against Melbourne, and, and that sort of football. And you go, oh gee, the Swans could win the flag. And, you know, when you've got Mills and you've got Heaney and and Warner's coming along, and then that forward line's functioning, and and Reeds had a little little boost in form, and. Down back, there's Rampy and the two McCartons. It works well. And, oh, yeah, maybe they could do something. And then this game, they just should have won that. They're is brave. And, and, and all credit goes to Port Adelaide. But when you've got a team that's battling and has, has had that real shaky start to the year, and then coming into this game, they lose still their two, probably two of their top three or four best players you just beat them when you're supposed to be a real premiership contender. And they just, they weren't up to it, score 59 points. It's sort of just a real Mm. nothing performance by the Swans. And so that's where I've got, I'm scratching my head with them. I I don't know which one is the real Sydney Swans, Um, but I probably want to go back more and just be super positive on Port Adelaide and what a brilliant win. Um, And call me biased, and I don't mind if you do, Albert. It goes to show... They've got a quality coach. Absolutely. All, all this talk of zero and five and Hinkley's done. I mean, please, the calmness and strength which he had through that really tough start to get them back on track with multiple wins, then a little stumble. But to have the tactical now and also just have the team united to get a win like that, missing key personnel. it goes to show that they've got a really top quality coach there and Why would you get rid of a top-quality coach?
2: Well, even the confidence, Lingy, for him to come out and say at zero and five, we can still make finals. He was prepared to come out and say that. He still had the confidence. And, yeah, I think there there were some suggestions or, or some speculation was starting to mount around Ken Hinckley's future. But underneath that, I think there was still a belief that he had been a very good coach and would most likely end up coaching somewhere else if it wasn't Port Adelaide into the future. So... Clearly, he's the right man for it. You do wonder whether a coach has a certain lifespan at a club. We saw that with Alistair Clarkson. have seen that with other coaches. Some have had very long stints in the case of Kevin Sheedy, but maybe you do. Your message does grow a little tight unless the the player personnel change over and that part of it changes. Then the same coach for a long period of time isn't always the greatest recipe. But what he's done, Ken, to rejuvenate the group and he knew that he was going to get players back And he knew he was going to get players um, back to a level of fitness that would allow them to play at their best. They're starting to do that now. And if you look at their run home, Lingy, four of nine, four of nine against current top eight sides. They play Gold Coast, GWS, Geelong Richmond and Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. So they're their home games. They have given themselves some sort of a chance. They're still coming from a long way back at six and seven when you've got teams to get into the eight, you have to have a minimum of eight and five at the moment. And the percentage is 113.3 for 8th-placed St Kilda. Sydney, I don't think there's any real doubt Sydney's going to make the 8th still, Lingy. They're in 7th, and they are also 8-5 and five with a percentage of 115.1. But they've got a really good draw home. They play only 3 of 9 sides currently in the top 8, and they play St Kilda twice. So they play St Kilda this week at the SCG, and then they play them away later in the season. Luckily, um, the timing for Peter Laddams and his undisciplined act where he punched Ollie Wines in the stomach and has been offered a week for that, intentional medium impact to the body. Unfortunately, uh, for him, he's going to be missing if he chooses to accept that, which I'm sure he will. But fortunately for the Swans, Tom Hickey would have to be a chance to return this week. He was sort of in the frame coming back from that toe injury for this match, so that's a blessing for Sydney, especially coming up against Ryder and Marshall, who are a wonderful tandem um, pairing in the ruck for for St Kilda. Yeah, you're
1: right. Sometimes talking about head scratching. You wonder why Laddams does that. He he's trying to. He's still trying to get his spot in that team, and and you've got the chance. Why would you let yourself be tipped back out of the team? Um, it just Baffling, why you'd be that silly? I know there's, you want players to play on the edge and you want them to be aggressive, but just don't do that. That's just... That's well, you're just
2: zero chance of not being caught doing that. Well, exactly. But there is zero chance you will not be caught punching someone in the stomach it, like it's that. it's
1: one week. And, and, you know, if for whatever reason they want to grade, it might end up too. But just guarantee you, there's a week. There's a week that you're not playing. And as you said, Tom Hickey might come back in. Say that works beautifully and the form is outstanding. And it just, everything functions better. You don't get back you in. get back, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's been good for them and he's been important, but he, I don't think he was locked away as, well, no matter what, he is playing regardless. So you've just invited an opportunity for you to not get back into the team. Um, and not only that, of course, hurt your team. Yeah, I'd. I Don't know what's going on then. Um, I know Ryder and Marshall will want to make amends. I thought they were beaten um, by Sam Draper and and Phillips as a combination. I mean, Phillips didn't have the touches and didn't have the goals, but I reckon his contest work was outstanding. Um, Marshall threatened a little bit up forward at times, and and Ryder and Marshall still had that element to them where they could go forward and look dangerous. But I, I expected them to dominate on Friday night, and it didn't happen. I think they'll want to take a uh, make amends and take a nice big scalp and really have a monster game together. So um yeah, it's one that Laddam should be there. Um talk about Sam Draper. I love him. I love watching him play. <laughs> he's slightly mad. I mean, you've got to be to have that hairdo, but there's time where he boots the ball and I don't even reckon his teammates know where it's going, and it's a mongrel <laughs> thing in the following line that gee he competes and he gets yeah. up there and he's Ruckwork's starting to get a little bit of finesse to it as well. And he's he's still pre- relatively
2: raw as a footballer, yeah. So He's from that soccer background. He hasn't played an enormous amount of football. Across the board, Essendon's um, willingness to compete was superb because when St Kilda came out in the third quarter and kicked that run of five goals, you thought, all right, they've got the momentum now. They're the classier side. They're the team that's in the top eight. They will cruise to victory now. And then Essendon, who'd given some fight in the last couple of weeks but hadn't been able to sustain it, they found something again and kicked the next six. That, that was such an eye-catching performance from Essendon. They rallied again and weren't satisfied with, you know, the little ground that they'd made in a competitive sense and shown in the first half. That they actually wanted something more. There was a hunger that had been missing throughout the season.
1: 32 shots a goal. I mean, that's that's impressive. That was the weirdest quarter of footy I've seen in a while, (laughs) that third quarter. It looked like, yeah, here go the Saints and they're going to keep flying past them and then Essendon kicked the next six. No, that was really impressive. Um, But that's, that's a resetting of everything now. Okay, that's the benchmark from effort of contest, effort of pressure. And I think it has to be the benchmark of Ben Rutten and his messaging with ball movement. Um, I don't know if he's mixed his messages. I don't know if it's been personnel versus trying different things with ball movement. But that's the energy I think the the good version of Essendon plays with. They won't get it it that easy too often, though. The Saints just basically opened the door and invited them in and said, hey, go for it. You know, you can slice through us whenever you want. Um, So it'll be more of a challenge against the better teams but at least the intent of Nick Hine to run and Mason Redmond to run, Dylan Shield actually looked good again. Taking yeah. bounces and run, And he was good last week as well, but running and bouncing and taking the game on and creating so much better than this let's go nowhere and all have eight possessions and just go ring a ring a rosy handball rubbish that they were doing. This felt like Essen and the glimpses of them last year, um, which, which is brilliant. That, that sort of footy is great to watch. Um, I mean, the the Saturday night game was great to watch. The Dogs and the Giants. Toby and Cody, take a back. Oh,
2: yes. Five goals, Cody Waitman, in the first half. And then he dislocated his elbow and came back out courageously. Aaron Norton kicked five and Toby Green a career-high seven. The highest-scoring game, Lingy, of the season. 19-11, 125 to 16-9, 105. So a collective or a combined 230 points scored in the game. The Bulldogs winning by 20 points. Just as a casual viewer of that game, that was a flashback to sort of 90s football again. The football that we sort of rosily eyed look back at and go, that was such good footy back then. High scoring, slingshot, corridor football. And then in the aftermath, as much as he's happy with the win, Luke Beveridge is certain to make mention of the fact they didn't defend the transition particularly well through the corridor. So don't I worry. can understand why they would be a little disappointed with the, the defensive aspect, of those two teams. But, gee, they put on a rollicking ride on Saturday night, didn't they?
1: They did. Uh, don't worry, yeah, coaches will get a hold of it eventually. Al. We can't have that sort of scoring. But, um, no, it was brilliant to watch. Mark McVeigh certainly has got the Giants trying to play with that. Get it into the court. It is such yeah. a
2: contrast to the way they were playing this season under Leon Cameron, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is massive. And, I mean, I love him. But I know there's others out there who hate him. I don't care you just, whether you do love him like I do or hate him like others. You just sit back and you watch Toby Green and he is simply joyful to watch. I mean, he's, he goes up and he takes it in the air as though he's six foot five. His ground level contest work is like Gary Ablett Jr. at times with the way that he could just hunt the ball and contort his body and not get tackled and all of that. He's, he's getting attention and he can dart here, he can dart there. His snaps are so sharp. that, Like every little element. I just, I love watching Toby play football. Yeah. Um, and and I, I can hear all the arguments of the people who don't like him about his brain fades and all that. Yep, sure. I'll, I, I get it. But he's good for the game. He I'm a lover too, football. Lingy. I, I
2: absolutely love Toby Green. I can do nothing but admire him as the footballer, the way he goes about it. Yeah. He does have just from nowhere, these occasional moments of madness, but think about him as a youngster. He was involved in the odd off field indiscretion. He's tidied up that part of his footballing experience. And there are times where he's so hardwired on the field and so competitive that he's he is prone to these moments of madness, but he is a football genius, what he can do. And everything you said, I completely agree with it. Pound for pound, you've got to ask yourself the question, is he almost the best player in the competition? I mean, Liam Baker's a lot smaller. I'm loving his output of late. He could lay a bit of a claim. And then your boy, Isaac Heaney, was back in some form for the Swans to a degree with four goals on the weekend. Here's a tough one for you. At their best, and you could pick only one, who would you pick, Toby Green or Isaac Heaney?
1: Uh I thought we were friends, Al, you and I.
2: I knew that would stump you.
1: (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, let me clarify. Is this picking to build a team for the whole year or just in one game?
2: Uh, no, let's go for the whole year because then you're going to pick the match winner. But both of them can be match winners, can't yeah, they? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, both can, both can be. It might have made it just the 1% easier. I might have gone Toby just for that one-off game. Isaac, Isaac. See, I still think Isaac's got another gear to go to. Yep. I think he is, he is right there in the conversation in that group of the top tier as the one of the best. I still think he's got another gear. So I'm going to back in Isaac to shift to that gear over the next 12 months, 18 months. And that puts him ahead of Toby, Okay, his
2: lightest margin right now for that.
1: Well, I'm more than happy to have Toby.
2: That's fine. No issues. <laughs> no dramas at all. Uh, go back to Thursday night. Um, really interesting game of football. Richmond and Carlton. Carlton had come from behind to overpower Richmond in round one. And the Tigers got away to a superb start on Thursday night in the wet. Set the tone with their method early on. Got in the face of the opposition. Their clearance work was outstanding. 41 to 27. Teon Presti had 13 clearances. It was sort of tailor-made those conditions for... Dion Prestia. Carlton then fought back. There was that moment of conjecture with the was it or was it not touched decision when the margin would have been three points. That has really polarised that discussion as well. Watching the game, I have to say that I was content with the decision that was made. And then Michael Voss in the aftermath said that he felt, well, you'd want to hope it was conclusive. because, And that is the rule. The rule is that it needs to be conclusive to overturn the goal umpires decision on the field was it conclusive
1: yeah i i haven't studied it with a magnifying glass yep. but i felt watching it i, I was it, it wasn't a hundred percent conclusive absolute just you get a hundred people
2: in a room yep, no doubt done and is done. that what it needs to be Lingie, in in your eyes that what it needs to be to overturn the decision well, again, that, that's what the rule says, isn't it? Mm. So,
1: therefore, yes, that, the answer to that is it, that's what it should be to overturn a decision. Um, not, or is it more, well, yeah, that's, that's touched. Um, you know, it's not a great shot of it. Uh, we can basically see not there's no daylight between finger and ball. That makes us pretty much certain that it's touched. So if it's okay to be that, sort of have little elements of grey, but, you know, the overwhelming evidence suggests that it is touched, if it's okay to be that, then sure, I think the right decision was arrived at. But it has to be, if it, if it has to be 100%, no shadow of a doubt, absolutely conclusively touched to overturn it, then I'm not sure that that's mm. what it was. But I also, I, I know that would have put, made it game on, and I know Carlton may have pinched it from there, But it would have been one of the all-time robberies if Carlton had taken that game because they were outplayed terribly all night. Um, Richmond were brilliant. I do know one thing, one fact out of that game, Al. You do not want to play Richmond in a final, especially if there is rain falling down and you're playing them at the MCG. They'd be the best wet-weather team in the game and their style suits it incredibly well. And they slaughtered Carlton when it was was wet. They adapted better, as I said. Their style suits it anyway. I think Michael Voss said it summed it up beautifully in the press conference at the end, where he said, "Oh, we've got some things to fix up. We need to be better in some areas." I'm paraphrasing here, but I tell you what, something about planning. And he said, "What our plan wasn't to have 76 inside fifties against us." Uh, Seventy. I, I haven't heard of seventy-six inside fifty. Yeah, yet, so. and and
2: with Carlton's depleted defence, that was the area of the game that they needed to be strong in. They needed to win the clearances. They needed their midfield to get on top and they needed to put pressure on the ball that went inside 50 and it just didn't happen enough. That, that vulnerable Carlton defence was exposed badly by Richmond on Thursday night.
1: I remember Damien Hardwick, uh, was it a couple of years ago, saying July is big boy month or, or words to that effect. July is big boy month for the Carlton midfield. So for four weeks, roughly, four or five weeks, they have to hang on and scramble and get players back. They need Jacob Wheatering back. They need, they need to get their, their troops back, particularly in defence. So during that month where they are exposed back there, that Carlton midfield has to have a month of dominance. They have to protect their teammates down back. Also with the beautiful fact in mind that they know if they can get it forward, they've got a brilliant forward line to kick it to. But this month, July is the month that the Carlton midfield must stand up for the sake of their entire team. And the players that are missing, yeah. Time to go to work. As their, as their biggest strength of their entire team, it's time to shine now.
2: Yeah, and that, that is an area. I mean, Cherry didn't play through illness, but they still had a strong, deep midfield, and and guys who got plenty of the ball again. But Richmond certainly had greater influence, and and that was reflected in the number of inside fifties they had. So. Carlton Fremantle at Marvel Stadium is going to be an absolute cracker this weekend then they've got St Kilda at Marvel West Coast in Perth Geelong at the MCG GWS at Marvel Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval Brisbane at the Gabba Melbourne at the MCG and Collingwood at the MCG that there is so much drawing me towards round 23 Carlton (laughs) Collingwood the old enemies and that having an enormous amount riding on it for for both of those teams, I think Carlton will certainly make the eight. Collingwood will be in with a very much a fighting chance at that point of the season as well. So there's plenty to look forward to there. The Gold Coast Suns, um, the way they went about their work today against an improving Adelaide, I thought was impressive. Wasn't a, a brilliant game of football, but they slowly ground them down and then they put them away, the Gold Coast Suns, in the end. And their drawling I've been really harking on these draws, but I think it becomes really relevant at this time of the season as we get ready to enter round 15. They play only three sides inside the top eight in the last nine games and they play North Melbourne in the final round. So it wasn't so long ago I thought they were out of the frame. Then they had that great period where they beat Sydney and Fremantle in consecutive weeks and now they have given themselves a shot of playing finals football for the first time.
1: Yeah, and and credit to Stewie Dew and his team. They they've done a really good job. I was, I was with you. I was, I was a bit flat on them, and uh, you know, when when's it ever going to get there? Um, I I worry that for all their steps forward, that they're just going to lose players. I mean, that horrible injury to Will Powell. Yeah, it was amazing. terrible. Horrific. And a good
2: young player. Oh, yeah.
1: Terrific young player, and um, they're those ones that you just know. And the moment I saw it, I felt sick because it was one of those that, like I was petrified of playing as as a player, that they're the oh, horrible sight. Lockie Weller's done his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, ben King, start of the season. I know he doesn't come into calculation during the season, but i would love Ben King out there. Jack lacosius is still maybe three or four away, potentially. I just worry that when, you, when you're not super deep, so they're still growing and trying to grow that depth. When you're not super deep, when you keep losing really important players, um, maybe that just costs them in the end. But I love what they've done. I, I really, and um, Stuart Yu is clearly a, a good coach and a growing and, and developing coach himself. Um, he's got the players really united in the way they're playing. He's getting the best out of, Certain players who were um, you know, early picks and were maybe just just plateauing a little bit or finding their feet in the game now are starting to elevate to that next level. So well done to the Suns. But I, I'm just worried about the, um, the injuries at the moment, Al, with them.
2: Yeah, that is a concern. I, I think the way they're going and the number of wins that they've had with the group that they've had this season, yeah, agree. Credit to Stuart Jew. Uh, we're out of time, Lingy. Um, Geelong just got the job done it wasn't overly impressive but they got it done but we need to make a a parting comment or at least an acknowledgement of the 700 goal mark for Tom Hawkins 26th player in the history of the AFL VFL to do it and has given off countless other goals to players as well he's still in such good form you would have to think that that number is going to surpass 800 by the end of of his career which ranks him right up there with the the great Fords of the game so it's a wonderful achievement
1: It certainly is a wonderful achievement from a great footballer and a great human being. You made mention of his willingness to sacrifice and give the ball off and how wonderful a teammate he is. Well, he's exactly the same off the field too. Just a really giving, caring person, a wonderful family man and a good friend and yeah, just a quality human being. So it was great to see him achieve that milestone. I agree with you. I mean, to think that he's still, I'm not being biased here, am I by saying he's still the best key forward in the game right now. I mean, you've got Jeremy Cameron there with him. I think Kurnow and Mackay, Max King starting to really make a claim on it as well. But I just think for all round, everything he does, Hawks still the best. He kicks, he'll he'll end the season with 50 or 60 again. He'll Which he have, does every year. Every year, he'll probably be number one for goal assists. And his running patterns and everything, he just draws. It's like a vacuum. It's like Steph Curry playing for the Golden State Warriors. Just draws everybody with him. And the rest of the teammates think, oh, this is pretty easy. He, To me, he's still he's still the main man, the best. Um, he's already played 300 games. Yeah, I think he can get to 800 because um, he's on top of his game. His body seems healthy. So, it is a wonderful achievement. The Cats weren't great. <laughs> You're right there. Um, but. To the Eagles' credit, they had a real crack, and that was good to see them find a little bit of spirit. Um, But an important win for the Cats. I I don't know about you, Al, but my eyes have just, as good as this weekend was and as fun as this weekend was, my eyes have just drifted to Thursday night. They can't help but just keep looking at Thursday night. That's
2: going to be a beauty. I mean, we're through the bye rounds, Lingy, so from my perspective, that's a good thing. And now we have the full suite of matches again. And it's an excellent round of football, starting with Melbourne and Brisbane on Thursday night at the MCG. Carlton and Fremantle will be a huge clash on Saturday at Marvel. Geelong and Richmond, Sydney and St Kilda with huge ramifications. Collingwood and GWS. Port Adelaide and Gold Coast, those two sides still just with a, a little finals hope flickering there for them. And, Western Bulldogs Hawthorne, not the worst game either. So we're in for a great round of football. You'll see it all live and free on 7. And we'll wrap it all up again for you next week on the Al and Lingy show. Lingy, great chatting to you, mate. Have a good week. Always great chatting with you, Al. All the best.